thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Well, good morning. My name is Jaden. I'm one of the pastors here at Open Life. We're really glad that you are here today and hope you uh, are going to watch the Mariners win today. I got my Mariners hat on, um, so I've, but they've lost every time I've worn it this week. So I'm hoping today is the day that Jesus redeems my hat that it would be turned into a winning hat. And so that's kind of where I'm at today. Those, but the Sounders won yesterday, so I'm pretty happy. I'll talk more about that later. But if you're here today, maybe you weren't here the last three weeks, but we've been celebrating the Easter season. And it's cool to come out of it, and it's cool to always remember, like, that, have that mindset and that mentality on the forefront of our minds. Thad said it last week, but I believe it's so true, is that we should be celebrating Easter all the weeks, whether it's every Sunday at Open Life, we should have that mentality of celebrating the life that Jesus brings to his resurrection every single week. But also personally in our lives, how do we do that every single day in our lives? How do we be life givers of the life that Christ has given us, give that to other people? How do we be those kind of people? And so I was just challenged by that, and I'm just trying to always sink on the sacrifice that Jesus made in his resurrection. And so we're starting, we're walking back into this Luke series, and we're talking about Jesus. We've been doing this for the past like year and a half, just walking through Luke, verse by verse, story by story. And so that's where we're at right now. And the title of the message or the series is The Final Journey. And the reason it's called that is because Jesus, if you haven't noticed, if you've been following along, along Jesus has been on this long journey towards Jerusalem. Basically, he's on this long journey because he knows he's going to be sacrificed and he's going to rise again. He knows that's, what he knows that's what he has to do. But so we've been reading all these stories, and, and you've, you might have catch it. In Luke 9, 51 through 53, we read this verse probably like a few months back. But as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. From there, we've been reading stories and teachings and parables of Jesus and, and seeing how he lived his life. And one of the ways that I think that, that when, if I want to be more like Christ, one of the things I have to do is study in Scripture the way that Jesus lived. I need to understand the way that Jesus interacted with people, the way that he loved people, the way that he prayed and healed for people, if I want to know how I want to live my life. And so that's what we're going into. We're talking about, uh, we're going into Luke 13. We're going into the last half of this chapter. And so that's what we're going to do today is look at how Jesus taught people. And we're, today we're talking about salvation, some basic stuff when you're talking about Christianity, but it's the most important stuff. 
It's like we're talking about what it means to be saved. We're going to look at a few different stories of people that asked Jesus or asked other people, say, well, what must I do to find salvation? What must I do to be saved? And so just coming out of Easter, it's important to remember, remember the lens and the filter that we look at things through. We look at things through the eyes of Jesus, but we look at, the, we look at things through the filter of him dying for us. Because that is love. We look at these scriptures, we look at these stories through the filter of Jesus who died on the cross and rose again, and that's how we read into scripture. And so let's jump in, Luke 13, 18 through 35. In verse 18, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So we're hearing that again. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many I tell you, we'll try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you can't come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can, be, can die outside Jerusalem. And then Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, as a kind of transitional thing from that scripture, I want to ask you a question. Is, have you ever had the opportunity to maybe go to a concert or go to a sporting event and get like a backstage, fat, a backstage pass or like a field pass? like to go on the field pregame or, or to like be on the sideline during the game. Has anyone ever had the opportunity to do that? Some people here. Isn't it like the coolest thing like to be a part of is to just be there and kind of like feeling like you're a VIP? I had the opportunity to do this once and I'm walking around on the field and I'm just like, I'm a VIP. Like I'm a very important person. Like Instead of just VIP, I'm just telling people, no, I'm a very important person. Like, I'm down here on the field. And, and I was, it was at a Sounders game. And so I think, yeah, Sam has a picture. Me and Danny, this is a couple seasons ago, we're at a Sounders game. 
And I'm down there, and like, so they, they say, you know, you get to be on this end of the field before pregame, but once the game starts, you have to go back to your seats. I'm like, cool. And so I'm down there, and I'm like walking around. And so I saw a friend down there, oddly enough, too, and, and he had like a photographer's pass. And so he was over in this one section, and so I was walking over to say hi. And so then he's like, this, this security guy's like, sir, you can't go past. And I'm like, well, I have a, a field pass. And he's like, well, you have the yellow one. He has the blue one. And so I'm like, okay, fine. I guess I found the limit to my, like, very importantness here. It's like, I guess I'm not that very important. But I'm still very important. And so it's like this mentality when you're in those kind of settings, whether you're backstage at a concert. I know a bunch of people that went down to go see Garth Brooks. And I don't even know any of his music. So, that, like, that's, I mean, if that dates me or makes me feel younger, then I really am. But, and I don't like country, so that's most of the part of it. So, but, that was a sidetrack. But what I'm saying is, it's cool when you're in those settings and you can feel like you're that VIP. You're that very important person. Because you kind of, like, can look at people in the stands and you say, like, I'm down here but you guys are all up there. It's like, I saw some friends, like, in where I usually sit, and they saw me down there, and you could see their faces were like, what's he, how did he get down there? And I was like, yeah, I know, I know a guy. And it's just like, you just feel important, and you feel uh, special. But think about that mentality in the scripture we're just reading, but also in the, like, surrounding context of this passage. The Israelites were people that they were very important people. They were God's chosen people, a people that God had chosen to really interact with and to act out His will. And so you, but when you have that mentality, when you have that like just thing in your brain that says, I'm very important, I'm a chosen person and you're not a chosen person, that can really begin to bring in a sense of pride and a sense of like, well, I don't really need to do anything. I'm here. I, did, I didn't need to do anything to earn this. Because I'm just who I am. I, it's a birthright. I'm born into this. And so that's what you have to think is these Israelites and the person asking this question when he says are only a few going to be saved is he's coming from a perspective of, hey, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jewish person. I'm a chosen one. Don't I get to go to heaven? Don't I get to have eternal life? And so they acted like they had a backstage pass with God. They were the chosen people they're the VIPs, and they would say things like, I'm chosen. When I think, when Jesus comes and enters the scene in history, is he's coming to change everything. He's changing everything on its head. So where it does, now it doesn't matter where you're born, or what you've done, or the works that you've done to try and gain eternal life. Now what's important is whether you, or not you can say, I'm with Jesus. It's kind of like if you, I've never been to a club, but I've seen clubs on TV, on TV shows I watch, so I like to think I understand, but where they're all waiting in line, and, and you know, the, 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 the guy at the front, you know, he's opening the gate and letting a few people in, and then he stops, and then the person's like, well, I, I'm with them, I'm with them, and what's cool in the kingdom of God, and what Jesus is going to refer to, and for all of us to remember today, is that when we're talking about eternal life or asking Jesus, are only a few going to be saved? It's like when that time comes, there's going to be a point where you're going to have to say, I'm with Jesus. 
you're going to want to say, I'm with Jesus. Like, I'm with him. And so the cool thing and the thing that Jesus is saying, that is fine. That is for everyone. Everyone can say that. But Jesus knows who really knows him. Jesus is the determiner of who really knows him. Who has a real relationship with, with him. And so when we look at this story and we look at how Jesus changed things, when we look at it from the big picture, no longer could Israel look at God's kingdom and think to themselves, we're the VIPs. But on the other hand, no longer to those who aren't Jewish people, which would be called Gentiles in the Bible. When you see Gentiles, that just means anyone that's not Jewish. So for the Gentiles, now that they can feel a part and be a part of God's kingdom because of Jesus. And so then specifically to this story and the things that we've read, we have the Pharisees and religious leaders could no longer boast about the things that they've done in order to gain eternal life. And then the people that are seen least in society, the people that you would say, well, they're never going to make it just because, you know, they're the drunkards, they're the prostitutes, they're the whoever. Those are the people that Jesus went to. And he changed everything and said, no, I'm here for everyone. And that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus. Basically what Jesus is saying, I'm here for the sick, I'm here for the hungry, and I'm here for anyone who has eyes to see what I'm doing and ears to hear what I'm saying. And that's reassuring. That should well up inside of us to think like, man, if I just believe and repent of my sin and follow Jesus, then, then there's no question I'm in relationship with him. And so our first point today is salvation is not a clubhouse. Salvation is not a club. It's not a special club where we get to say, well, I'm saved and you're not. We have no choice in that matter other than showing love to other people, but we have no say to say whether this person's saved or this person's not saved. The only person that determines that is Jesus. And so the question is put to him, are only a few people going to be saved? And so there's two ways to look at this question. And maybe you've thought about this too. Is Jesus, how many people are you going to save? But also Jesus, have I personally done enough to be saved? And so Jesus' response is basically pretty simple. And he says, you know, in different words, but he says it's up to you if you're going to enter through that narrow door. I mean, if you think about Jesus, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to pay the price, and he's going to rise again. And he's like, I've done my job. Whoever comes and follows me and believes in me will enter through the door. But yet Jesus, still many are not going to make it. And so when we look at Jesus' words in his response, he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In other words, what he's saying is turn from your sin and follow me. Repenting. That literally means like repenting is you just turn from your sin and turn back to Jesus. Repent of your sin, follow me, and then you have nothing to worry about. But Jesus still says many will try to enter and will not be able to. And so I think it's important to understand that this isn't due to God holding them out. It's not God saying, well, nope, I only have a select few, and then the rest of you are gone. And we read this on Easter, but John three sixteen through 17, specifically this says, For God so loved the world, all of it, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son 
into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If God was about keeping people out of heaven, then he had a lot better ways of doing that than sending his son to die for us and rise again. But because of God's love for us, he sent his son, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he rose again, and now all of us have access to God through Jesus. And that's awesome. And that's love. And so when people say God is such a mean God, God is such an evil person that he would keep people, he would cast people to hell. No, he gets everyone into heaven. It's us who don't choose to follow him. And that's the, that's the, basically what Jesus is trying to say, but he's painting a bleak picture for the people of this time and this story to help them understand that salvation is not some clubhouse. It's not something that you're born into, that just because you're born into a Jewish family doesn't mean that you have eternal life. Just because you grew up and went to the temple and have been devout your whole life doesn't mean you're saved. It's always been about believing and knowing God and having that relationship with God and repenting of your sin so that you can actually have a relationship with God. And that's the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. It means good news because through Jesus, all have access. So much so that some of the least are going to be first, and some of the people that think they're first are going to be last. And it doesn't matter for the Jews that they ate and drank with Jesus and that he taught them. It's all about whether they chose to believe, chose to follow him. And then the cool part, and for us, you know, and unless anyone's of Jewish descent here and you've done all that, but I'm assuming lots of us haven't, so we're all Gentiles here, but this is where, this is the cool part where Jesus says, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. That's Jesus saying, you know what? Everyone from the north to the south, from the east to the west, as far as you can see or imagine, my grace is there for them, my love is there for them, and their salvation if you follow me. Because of Jesus, people from all over have entrance through that narrow door. His love walks people through that narrow door if they choose to have faith and believe. If the VIPs haven't truly repented and believed in him, then they'll be left knocking. And if the people we think are farthest from God choose to repent and follow him, then they're walking through the door. And that's the good news of Jesus, is that all of us have access to that. And so the question arises, what must we do to be saved? And so a lot of it is simple. It's believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sin and turn to him, and then follow. And that following part is what kind of gets tricky. And that's the second point today, is that a relationship with Jesus takes work. Now, don't misinterpret what I said in thinking that I said a relationship with Jesus takes works, but a relationship with Jesus takes work. 
There's nothing that I can do that's going to get me in right relationship with Jesus. There's nothing that I can do that's going to save me, that gets me into eternal life. Jesus did all the work, but to be in relationship with him, I have to do things that I would normally do with anyone else to be a friend of them or to be in relationship with them. Think about it. Anyone here who has a friend's uh, wives or spouses or children, if you want to have a good relationship with those people, you have to do things with them. You have to do things for them sometimes. And it's out of love. It's out of this, not necessity, but it's an impulse of saying, I love this person so much that I'm going to do this. And sometimes we think with Jesus, is that it's just following him means that we've raised our hand on a Sunday one service before, or, we, or here at Open Life we check boxes and then, so we can respond back to you. But sometimes we think, well, I, yeah, I believe I checked that box. I raised my hand. But following Jesus is truly a daily decision to position him at the forefront and the center of our lives and choose to look at things through that lens from now on. Many times we'll make the de- people will make the decision to believe, but there's no follow-through. If you follow Jesus on a Sunday, would Jesus say you're still following him on Monday or on Tuesday? Or did you make it to Friday? Did you make it to the next Sunday? And now we all mess up. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's what, that's, those are the verses. And that's so true. And that's where repentance and forgiveness and asking for that, and that's God's grace is that he continually walks through life with us when we're going through trials, when even trials that we've caused on our own. And that's the love and grace of Jesus. But do we just think that because we raised our hand or checked a box, then, hey, I'm in, I'm done, you know? It doesn't matter anymore. And that's where our thinking has to shift. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and then skipping to later on, it says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. To think, you know, Jesus, this is a relationship thing. I'm going to, this is serious. I'm going to work through this and know that I'm saved because I have a relationship with you. The moment you choose to follow Jesus, you are saved. But a life following Jesus takes choosing to follow him every day. There is new life in Jesus, new purpose, and that's what he gives to you. Just like Jesus came and brought restoration 2,000 years ago to all these people he's healing and then he's teaching to, you saw lives change through the people that Jesus interacted with. It happened all the time. That same life change is what you want to see now when people accept and follow Jesus. Is what you, when people accept Jesus, you want to see them repent and turn from their sin and see their life go in a new direction with new purpose and with new understanding of life to say, you know what? Yeah. Life is different now. I live for something else. I don't live for myself. I live for Christ. I live for what he wants me to do. That's the exciting part. And when, when, you, when people choose to completely, 100% say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus with all my life, that's when you see these amazing stories of people doing like awesome things. Like I think of these missionaries that just pack up, sell everything, 
and go, not because that's what they think they should do, but that's because they, what they genuinely think God told them to do, and they do it, and then God uses them because they're so willing to just follow him and be obedient. And when I think about it, about, like, in personally, I think about when I asked Danny to marry me, I followed through. I married her, you know? I followed through. I do things for her now. I buy her flowers sometimes, probably not as often as I should. I clean around the house when I can. I do the dishes. I don't do it out of obligation. I don't do it because I'm married to her. I do it because I'm compelled to do it with her and for her because that's what a relationship is. And sometimes I think there's this mentality when we choose to follow Jesus that, okay, well, now I'm obligated to pray. Now I'm obligated to go to church. Now I'm obligated to read my Bible. Now I'm obligated to serve my community. Now I'm obligated to join a small group. Now I'm obligated to be generous. Now I'm obligated to do this. I'm obligated to do that. And if that's what you think, if that's what you come here today and you think, well, I'm just here to check the box to do my Sunday church, then you're missing out. Come to church because you're compelled to, to worship and to follow him and to, because it's out of a love. Like serve your community, serve your coworkers because you're compelled through the love of, that Jesus has for you to love other people. If you just make a decision to believe and that's it, yeah, maybe you're in, but you're missing out on a lot of stuff. It's that relationship, that 100% giving it all to Jesus versus just going for a lanyard so that you can cross the line and say, hey, I'm a VIP. I'm in. It's like being a player in the game versus just saying, you know what? I'm good with the necklace. I'm good to just stand here and watch. But I'm still in. I'm still on, I'm still on the field, you know? That's not how it works. God wants you to be a player. He wants you to be someone who's involved with his mission and doing what he's calling you to do. And so there's three stories in the Bible that I wanted to hit on where people asked Jesus or asked another person, Paul, that we'll read in the last story, but asked them questions related to eternity or being saved and stuff like that. And so the first story is the Good Samaritan story. It's Luke 10, 25 through 37, and we'll skip verses Um, But verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus and him have this discussion, and basically they come to an agreement that you should love God and you should love your neighbors. And so then they get into a discussion, and Jesus tells a story about who your neighbors truly are. And so he talks about a man that was beaten on the side of the road, and three interactions that happen. The first is a priest that walks by the man and just passes him. The next one is a Levite, someone that's essential in the temple functions in that time, passes the guy. Ah, who cares? Not my deal. But then Jesus says, but a Samaritan, and so a Samaritan in that culture is someone who is seen as less, like no interaction, like I'm not even going to mess with that person. I'm not even going to talk to them. But this Samaritan walks by this man, and he has pity on them. And so he picks him up, helps him, takes him to the inn, pays for all of his needs, 
make sure he's good to go. And so Jesus finishes the story, and he says this. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And so the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus isn't saying, what must you do to have eternal life? Well, you must raise your hand on a Sunday or check a box on a connection card. He was saying, no, you got to love God and you got to love people. Because Christ's love, Jesus' love, compels us to love our neighbors, compels us to love our coworkers, compels us to love our families, to walk through life with them and to be there for them when they're in times of need. And when you think about the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they knew how to live this life of perfection, but they didn't know how to love people and walk through life with people and to be there for them when they were in times of need. So then we read a story of, of a rich man, Mark 10, 17 through 31. Verse 17 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He says, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus and him have a discussion again. He runs through the commandments, and the man says, I've done all those. Jesus says, one more thing then. Sell all you have and come and follow me. To which the man walks away sad. And so it's easy to think that Jesus will, if if I follow Jesus, well, now I have to give up all my possessions. And that's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus, through his knowledge, knows that this man is still holding on to something. And he's like, if you love your money more than me, then you're not really following me. And so if we hold our finances or anything else above following Jesus, even when he himself asks us to give those up, then it really shows that we're looking for that VIP pass versus that real relationship with him. And so don't get me wrong, this is not today's giving talk. This is not me saying, all right, everyone, Give all, sell all your finances, and then we'll give it to the poor. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But if you've ever been in a moment where you felt God calling you to give up either your time, your talents, or your treasures, and you didn't do it, don't walk out of these doors today feeling sad like this man, but go away with joy knowing that God's called you to be a part of his mission in his purpose for the kingdom. And so then the final story is of Paul and Silas. And so skipping ahead to Acts 16, it's a story of Paul, a missionary to the Gentiles and non-Jewish world, and his friend Silas. And so they're trying to teach people about Jesus, but there's just this annoying woman who's behind him. And, and what she's doing is she's predicting the future uh, through, the Bible says, an evil spirit. And so Paul is just, I mean, if you read about Paul, he's kind of like a live wire. Like, if you mess with him, he's just going to tell you how it is. And so he just turns around and, like, like, casts out this evil spirit from her. And so now she can't, you know, predict the future anymore. And so she's a slave, and she's doing this for money, and now she has no source of income anymore. And so this woman's masters come, and they're like, like, what are you doing? You just took our finances. And so they get thrown into prison— and so we pick up the story in Acts 16, 25. And it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and they're in prison. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in, the, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He asked them, what must I do to be saved? And Paul just said, believe and follow Jesus. And what I want you to get away from that story is that cool moments like that don't happen if you're just following Jesus for eternity but not living for him today. Cool moments of seeing Jesus transform lives don't happen unless we're 100% bought in to who Jesus is and following him with our whole hearts. And I pray that we would be people in open life, that we'd be people so sold out to Jesus, saying, I'm on board 100% to what Jesus is doing, that we would see transformation in people's lives, in families, in our community, and in our region. There's communities all around us that need just an infusion of grace and peace. And that's what Jesus is calling us to see. And so that's, that's the next point, is the love that walks us through the narrow door will show us the kingdom of God at work today. And so the worship team can come forward. Um, because in the story, and the next thing is Jesus is warned that Herod is trying to kill him. And so he tells those Pharisees, he says, you know what? No prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jesus knew what he was going to Jerusalem for. He knew about the trials that were ahead. But he chose to go forward and bear those things for us because of his love. He even goes on and says, How often have I longed to gather Jerusalem's children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. And so in light of today's conversation, it's like Jesus is saying, You know what? I wanted all the VIPs to come together and have this awesome party. I'm the fulfillment of everything that you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah, your Savior. I'm the access to eternal life. But you're not willing to come under my wing. You're not willing to follow me. You're not willing to put in the work to have a relationship with me. You're in it for the past. You're in it for for just to be able to get across the line. And Jesus is saying, that's not relationship. Many will try and knock at the door where they're not going to be let in because they don't know Jesus. And, and when we're talking about seeing the kingdom of God, when we, know, when we know and we're assured that we're following Jesus because we know we've done the work, that's what brings you assurance. When you know that you've, 
you're in a relationship because you love Jesus and you, you've, you've, you've been able to walk through and you just say, man, I, am the, I have a rich relationship with Jesus. You don't have to sit there and worry about being saved or have eternal life. And yeah, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and there's times when we're like, man, I really screwed up. But that's where Jesus is right there to come behind us and say, man, there's forgiveness for you. But oftentimes, you don't even find that conviction unless you are pursuing after Jesus. Unless you are in that relationship, sometimes you don't even know that you're, you're going down a path that is wrong and it's crooked and it's just taking you down to death. But that's the freedom that comes when we follow Jesus. When, we, when we're one with His Spirit, when we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit and we're saying, man, I'm, I'm just going upon my life. God, I want to do my best to follow you in everything that I do, whether it's my finances, the way I raise my children, the way I'm a spouse. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. And that's when He guides us and pushes us. That's when we know that when we screw up, we screw up, but we're quick to run back to Jesus. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and the funny thing is he knows that there's people that are going to betray him. Some, one of his own disciples is going to betray him. Another one's going to deny him. But he says, you know what, I'm going to do it, I'm going to bear it, because there's people that are in relationship with me, and that's what brings true life, eternity. And so at the beginning, we talked about two things. The little mustard seed that turned into a tree and the, the yeast that goes into the dough. And sometimes we don't realize the way God is working in our community, in our families, because we haven't put in the work to be one with Jesus. And that's, that's my prayer for today, is that we would leave this place in such a strong relationship with Jesus that we would see in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, the kingdom of God at work, so that we would be able to recognize when a little mustard seed has blossomed into a huge tree big enough to have birds perching into it. Or being able to see just a little thing of yeast, if you've ever baked before, just a little thing of yeast going through the whole dough and seeing it rise. And that's what following Jesus is about, is seeing the kingdom of God rise in our hearts, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. And so today's action steps might address people in one of three spots. The first is you've never chosen to believe, to repent, and follow Jesus. You know, I would be so pumped if today was the day that you chose to do that, but that's your decision. That's your decision to raise the hand, to check the box, but then tomorrow to follow through and to put in the work. And so the second group, maybe you need to put in the work with your relationship to Jesus. You said, you know what, I come on Sundays and I just don't feel anything. I try to read my Bible, but I'm just not having it. You know, I, I, I've, I've given money to the church, but I don't see a purpose in it. And I would say to just look inwardly and remember that time where you felt lost and you made the decision to follow Jesus and what that meant for you. And to daily return to that and to know that that's the reason you're following him. And so in our response time, 
would we do that today? And finally, the third thing is just to look and be aware of how the kingdom of God is at work. Is would we be so in tune with Jesus that we would know how he's working in other people's lives to be able to be an encourager of other people's faith, even when they don't have any. To be people that would see our coworkers or our classmates and to be able to look at them and say, man, it would be awesome if you knew Jesus. And to maybe not vocally say anything, but to pray for them earnestly. But then to see, maybe you throw a mustard seed at them and say, hey, would you want to come to church with me sometime? Or, hey, would you want to come over and have dinner with us? And you just love them the way Jesus loved people. And then who knows, 10 years, 20 years down the road, they're following Jesus. They have a strong family that's following after God. And that's where you get this like family, this huge tree of just people following Jesus and where other people can come and be encouraged. And that's the kingdom of God at work. Would we be able to see and know the way that he's doing that? So let's pray. God, I just ask for your guidance in our lives, that we would hear your voice speaking to us. God, if today's the day that we know that we want to follow you, that we know we're going to trust in you, God, I pray, Lord, that we would just ask simply, God, would you come into my life and I'm ready to follow you? God, if, if we just realize, you know what? I'm in a dry spell. I've just, I've tried to pray. I've tried to be in your word. I've tried to come to church, but I just feel like you're not speaking to me. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded of our first encounter with you. God, and that we would pursue that daily until we're in a rhythm of just walking in your truth and walking in your love again. And God, Lord, finally, if I pray for all of us that we would see your kingdom at work in people's lives. I pray that we would be people that, that would be waterers and planters of seeds, that we would be people that need and press the dough to see the, the yeast rise in people's hearts, God that your love would grow so much inside of us that other people would be affected by it. God, that's our heart, and that's our prayer today. We love you in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.